You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to episode 156 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. And I am Pemcron. I am your host. We are brought to you today by our beautiful, sexy, good-smelling Patreon patrons over at patreon.com slash pimpcron and gamemat.au for all of your pre-painted terrain and game mat needs. Go over to gamemat.eu and use event 10 for 10% off your order, and that lets you know, or lets them know, that you came from us. Oh, so, um, is this... Is this, um, sorry, my, my chair is squeaking. Is this, is this a three-year anniversary? Actually, it is. So, wow, this, this is the three-year anniversary episode. I didn't even realize that, but here we are. So, what are we talking about tonight? We are discussing all the side effects of wargaming and how you should be aware of them. We are also discussing the Augmenter Upgrade class in the Tesseract Mailbox, because Nike writes in, yes, Nike, and what else are we talk about? Oh, the um the Delac Elite Unit, and I'm not even gonna remember all those words. I'm not lying to you. It's the the GW has lost their mind with the naming conventions of this box set, so we'll just stick with that. You know, I was trying to think before the show of what I did this week, and I have no recollection. I have no idea what I did this week. As far as gaming, um, obviously, uh, work is in full swing, so I do remember going to the gaming club. Oh, oh, we played, okay, whew, that was difficult. It's, it's taking me like 10 minutes to remember what I did. Um, so, we played, my friend Connor, my friend Matt and I, tested out new upgrades for Brutality. Um, the new supplement is going to get a new upgrade for each class in addition to the narrative mission modules that are in there, and uh, trying to feel some out. A couple of them didn't work so well. The grappler, I had the idea that somebody could actually grab hold of another model and use them as a human shield. The rules interactions with that ability was a little too wonky. I don't know if I'll ever rework it. Um, I'm not certain how to make that work elegantly, and uh, so that I think that's going to get scrapped. But there are some other upgrades that were really top-notch, that really worked well. Um, there's basically the Mover, which is a support class, I think will be in the new upgrade, in the new supplement. And uh, it's basically telekinetic. It's kind of like the Mind Controller gets a free action to Mind Control. Well, the Mover is going to get a free action to target a friendly or an anima enemy model and move them. So... That's pretty cool. Um, pull people towards you, push people away, that sort of thing. Telekinesis sort of thing. Um, the other thing, the fast upgrade is, I believe, called a master. And there's a lot of conventions there. But essentially, think of like a monk or eh, basically a monk. Has a lot of monk-type abilities. And um, what else? The melee person was called an elite and we're still slightly ironing out those abilities but the elite is pretty cool um and finally the ranged person was oh oh the blaster it's essentially a shotgun or the 
trans-dimensional beamer. Like, it gets more and more powerful the closer you get to the shooter, which is pretty cool. So it's really, really satisfying for, you know, teleporting him up there or him getting the drop on someone, turning the corner, and blam! It's really, really deadly up close. So that's pretty cool. Um, but, you know, all this is not written in stone just yet. I'm still trying to rework things and make sure they work perfectly in the game setting and uh, elegantly. So, another thing that's really, really exciting is that I finally, my my youngest is five years old now, and I've been wanting to play, like, some sort of Dungeons & Dragons with my kids. I've really, really wanted to, like, start doing a campaign of Dungeons & Dragons. But, unfortunately, children are not the best at role-playing. Like, you think they would be because of imagination, but they're not mature enough to not act like a child, you know, I mean, heck, a lot of adults aren't mature enough not to act like a child. So um, they, as far as actual role playing goes. But one thing that I did realize is that, you know, brutality is RPG light, but it also is mostly combat and they can paint their own miniatures and make their own characters and they level up and all that same stuff as D&D. So we have actually, we did the trial run of the... Um, brutality campaign with the kids last week we played an introductory mission and it went really well the kids had a lot of fun they painted their own models and they enjoyed making their own characters and all that and then they immediately demanded to play a second mission and who am i to tell them no when it comes to my favorite game and my favorite little people so we played a second game and it was a lot of fun they're starting to level up things like that and a couple days later, three or four days later, we sat down and played another mission where they were attacked by these giant monsters. Um, it's the Wilden Attack, the AI mission, if you're not familiar. But, um, I mean, if you are familiar with the rulebook. And uh, that was a lot of fun. I was using Killicans as my monsters, and I was just saying that these are roving robots, and they really don't have any AI or anything. They're just, like, some sort of machinations that someone designed, and they're roaming the countryside. So they were able to scrap those and get items and things like that. So it, um, we had a, a, a blast. We had a lot of fun and they're really excited about it. Um, they've hired two new people for their group. They've found two new members. So they were excited about picking out new models, hero clicks or whatever, and painting them and all that. So I'm, I'm very excited. And I think it's the best of both worlds because it's a fast game, 30, 40 minutes, they get, you know, I go, you go, I go, you go. So they all get to participate pretty quickly and uh, they get to roll some dice. The system's pretty simple and they can use whatever models they want and all of that. For instance, my weird son, he takes after his father. He cut the legs like from the pelvis down off of a Heroclick model and then did the same thing to another Heroclick model and then flipped one set of legs upside down and glued them to the bottom set of legs. So this person is, his name is Legs, aptly, and <laughs> he talks out of his top butthole, so just so you know, and he is an abomination made by a mad scientist, and he's a fast, and when uh, Kron Jr. was able to upgrade him, he made him a dominant, which is a fast upgrade, and you get two little minions. Well, you know what he made for his minions? He 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 cut the feet off of a Heroclick and put one foot each on a 28mm base. One foot and then one on the other. 
and those are his two minions, and it's adorable and weird and pretty funny. So, and those minions are no joke, dude. He he upgraded their fight skill and everything, and one of his minions took down one of the monsters last game, and we were laughing how it like flops on the ground. This dismembered foot flops around like a fish on the ground. And uh, it was, we were laughing so hard, and it really brought back memories of playing D&D with my friends and things like that. But we're not tied down with all of the problem-solving and the more complex things of, you know, D&D. And like I said, this is much more age-appropriate. I have a, what, six-year, seven-year gap between all my kids, from the oldest to the youngest, so... It's it's a bit of a gap, and what would end up happening if we did do D&D instead would have been that the younger two, or at least the youngest one, would not be able to participate because, you know, they just can't make decisions the way they should um, in that game. So this is really, really fun. I'm still jazzed about it. They're still jazzed about it. So um, that's it. All right, well, let's get on with the rest of the show. Let's open the Tesseract Mailbox. Hey everybody, it's time for Tesseract Mailbox. We finally have one, and it is from Nike. But No, not the corporation. Uh, he writes, Pimperoni, the San Francisco treat. It's your old pal Nike here. And to be honest, when I read this, I was like, Nike? Nick? With an E? Ni- Nike? Like, I totally was like, is, is, did he misspell his name Nick? And, uh, no, I have actually spoken back and forth with him. He says Nike is a nickname of his. So, it's your old pal Nike here, though we've never met. I've gotten into your game brutality, and I have enjoyed it. Getting my friends to participate in anything other than AOS is a hard sell, though. But I'm working on them. I was looking over the upgrades, and I can't really see a use for the augmenter. I mean, I get what it does, but the powers with the power sticking, but once it uses its powers, it's got nothing else to do. Am I missing something in your grand design? I'm assuming the answer is yes, I can be daft from time to time. Anyway, really neat game. I'll keep chipping away at my friends and hopefully demo sometime soon. Finally giving me a reason to buy STLs for my printer. Nike. Well, thank you for writing in, Nike, and... I would make the whole joke of, if that's your real name, which I know it's not now, so whatever. But uh, thank you for writing in, Nike. And I would tell you that the Augmenter is an often overlooked upgrade in Brutality. It is. And essentially what it is, is that upgrade can choose a couple different powers that will actually stick on... Like, whenever the power user activates all the powers go away and they have to reuse them they have to recast them if it's a if it's an actual spell or whatever use that superpower so the augmenter has the ability of actually not doing that and whenever they put like protect on somebody or aura or whatever that actually sticks on the person and they don't have to keep casting it the problem supposedly, I mean, a lot of people run into this problem, is that they don't know what to do with the Augmenter afterwards. Well, I will have to say that the Augmenter is not a strict support character. It's actually kind of a... It's in the support class, but it's actually a subtle melee character. And the reason why is that Augmenters have two attacks. So 
uh, and and a decent fight skill. So it's more or less the stats of a melee person, but they have these sticking powers. So there's a couple different ways you could use them. You hurry up and cast your powers in the very beginning of the game, and they stick, and then you run around and collect objectives or, or hit people in the face. And that's usually how it's used. The other way is, being that it gets two attacks and it's got a decent fight skill, it basically is a melee person, and you could use a melee model for it. So let's say you're using a barbarian, right? And the barbarian, you want to have a berserk mode. Or say it's Wolverine, even. It's a, it's a berserk mode. Well, you could give him, let's say, protect and time slip, or aura and time slip being Wolverine. Then he can cast those powers on himself. And now he's got aura and time slip, or aura and protect, for the rest of the game. He's essentially going into berserk mode, or he's going into... Super Saiyan mode, essentially. So you could use a model that you want to buff people, basically an enchanter. I almost called it I almost called the Augmenter an enchanter, but I try to stay as genre neutral as possible with my descriptions. So Augmenter kinda had to work. You could use Fabius Bile from Warhammer 40k. He augments people. So you could augment people and then they run off and the the augmentation stays until he wants to cast it again or until he dies. But the reason why he's got two attacks is because that way he still has utility. He can run around and grab objectives or whatever after buffing people. Or he can go beast mode and buff himself if you wanted to make him a Wolverine type person or a Super Saiyan type person. Or uh, I guess maybe even the Hulk, but I think he should have more hit points than that. But you get my point. So um, in a way, the Augmenter could have been a melee model with powers. But, strictly speaking, the support class is the one with powers. So, this is like a, a kind of half-and-half half upgrade. But it definitely does have its uses. So, for instance, if you have someone that's an augmenter and you give them protect and teleport, well, you can buff someone, teleport him, throw him into the front lines, and now he's buffed for the rest of the game until your user dies. So... Anyway, uh, thank you for writing in. I greatly appreciate it. You can reach me at pimpcron at gmail.com or pimpcron or facebook.com slash pimpcron. Want that or want that not? On this episode's Want That or Want That Not, we are discussing the Necromunda box set, Delac, Nactgul, Psygeists, and Piscine Spectre. No, I did not cuss at you in Yiddish. That is actually the name of this. Delac Noctgul Psygeists and Piscean Spectre. Who the hell names this stuff? Ugh, anyway, it is a pretty small box because it's like the elites for the Delac gang in Necromunda. And I find it to be a very big mixed bag. It's $42. You end up getting four people and then this crazy creature, and then two small, like, worm things. And I I think it ranges from kind of blah to fantastic. So that's, that's what we're dealing with here. Let's start with the blah, and we'll work up to the fantastic. How about that? First off, there's two worms on 25 millimeter bases. They're like mechanical worms, I guess. 
and they're coming out of the ground and eh like sure they they don't look they're kind of reared up like a cobra and they don't really have anything spectacular about them I don't really think that they are very cool in any sense. So I, those are my meh units in this club. The next level of slightly less meh is this giant tentacled flying thing with a brain. I have no idea what this is. I guess it's a Piscine Spectre, I guess. It's got a giant exposed brain. I love how GW's design choices are, are like this. It's got a giant exposed brain hooked up to cables. And it looks a little bit like this, or it reminds me, it doesn't really look like it, but it reminds me of the Sentinels from the uh, the Matrix, where the Sentinels in the real world, they were like squids or, uh, yeah, like squids. And this is essentially the same thing. It looks like it's got sensors in the front of it. And it's a giant brain hooked up to four tentacles, and it's flying. And, I mean, it's actually pretty cool looking, to be honest with you. But it's it's kind of like in that that sort of area where you don't really know what it is, so it's kind of hard to have an opinion on it, because you kind of can't identify exactly what they're going for. So you really can't tell whether or not they did it well. But it is very unique looking. It looks like it's probably on like a 40 millimeter base and it's got a flight stand and it's very interesting looking, but being that I don't really know what it's supposed to look like, I still make it kind of meh. The next less meh thing in this box is a guy, a Dalak guy hunched over with a sword of some sort. That's a perfectly workable pose. He's got his hand out and he's rearing his sword back like he's going to stab someone. It's pretty cool. It's not fantastic. It's just pretty neat looking. The next one is a toss-up. I think I'm going to make these two the same level because uh, we're getting slightly better and better with each of these models. There's one guy that is in like a walker suit and he's on stilts and he's got two exposed arms and he's hooked up to all these tubes and his arms are flailing and I'm assuming that's what's controlling these two giant tentacled arms coming out of him. These mechanical tentacled arms. So he is in an extremely barebone version of one of the, oh my gosh, Sisters of Battle suits. Sisters of Battle suits that, oh my gosh, why can I not think of this? Anyway, the Sisters of Battle suits that have the people strapped to the front of them. Well, this is like if they stripped it completely down to just its bare chassis. And uh, it's kind of in that vein. It's pretty cool looking, actually. I, I actually really like this model. It's very odd, but I do like it. The same level of coolness is someone, this hooded person, who appears to be holding one of those snakes I, I already mentioned before on the 25mm bases. And he's like the snake handler, but they're mechanical snakes. And he's holding it like some sort of snake handler would hold a snake. And it's pretty cool looking. To be honest with you, I don't care for the little snakes by themselves, but this guy handling one's actually pretty neat. Finally, something that is freaking fantastic in this set. I don't know which guy he is. I don't know what his name is, so don't don't at me, bro. But this guy has two arms and like a backpack thing, and on each one of his arms, he has this gauntlet 
with two big, like, spiky blades coming out. And these hoses connecting to his backpack. And for some reason, it really, really strikes me. I absolutely love this model. Um, I could definitely see using it for brutality or for something else. Maybe Gene Stealer called or something. It's a really, really good looking model. And there you have it. So from my standpoint, I do not like the little worms. The weird flying thing is okay. The guy with the sword is completely functional. The guy in the war suit and the guy handling the snake are pretty cool. And then the guy with the two claws is fantastic. Really, really like him. Is this worth $42? Well, if you play Necromunda, it may be worth $42. Um, you are getting four people and a monster of sorts and two little monsters. I think I really could see myself buying this, not for Necromunda, but for Brutality. Um, this looks like something that the uh, Collegium Carnus would have with all of the flesh melded with the machine. It's a... Uh, it's pretty neat. $42, I guess, is not that bad. I mean, it's it's freaking expensive, but what isn't? Um, I think they've done a pretty good job of make, giving this a unique look, though. The Delac stuff has a unique look. And for the most part, I like it. I just would practically toss those two little snakes, because I don't really think those are worth it. But to each his own, I suppose. So uh, that would be a want that for me. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. Hello, on today's Real Talk, I will be your unregistered nurse, Pimcron. You can call me Pim for short if you'd like. I have noticed on your medical chart that you claim to self-medicate from the stresses of life with a very potent narcotic called Wargaming. Its street names are varied. They include 40k, The AOS, The Malifaux, Infinity... There's many, many names for it. We're, we're hip to the culture. It isn't illegal to use without a prescription at this moment. So we want to discuss with you the side effects of this addiction. In moderation, this doesn't prove to be too dangerous, this war gaming. But I thought it would be best to be sure that you were aware of all of the risks involved with this addiction. When a friend or family member gets someone hooked on wargaming, they often omit the negative sides of this addiction. First off, it is very habit-forming. Wargames are a slippery slope. You start using it only a few times per month at first, and the next thing you know, you're in this shady, seedy place with a bunch of other addicts throwing dice multiple times a week. All other parts of your life may be neglected if you aren't extremely careful about using this wargaming in moderation. Another side effect is that you will make friends. Very similar to alcohol and other substances, wargaming can make you more gregarious and make it easier for you to talk to people that you don't know. More serious cases may even lead to friendship. While this isn't a bad thing at first, it makes quitting the addiction much harder if all of your friends still do it, much like smoking cigarettes or anything like that. So if you try to go clean or cold hell turkey, as they say for wargaming, there is a chance that you may actually 
relapse because you've got people around you that still participate in it. Another potential side effect to wargaming that a lot of people don't ever talk about is time loss. Many wargaming addicts encounter parts of their day missing entirely from the memory with no explanation. The only thing they have to show for it is a few new boxes of miniatures and no cash in their wallet. There is no real way to tell if someone you know is currently unconscious while buying new models, but be on the lookout for it anyway. These spells often occur at or around the checkout counter at their local hobby store, or possibly on the My Cart page of websites. When questioned later by spouses, the victim can't give any rational explanation of what happened. Another side effect of wargaming is hoarding compulsion. Many gamers buy more models than they can paint or play with, and oftentimes have to dedicate entire sections of their house to this hobby. Gamers are notorious for having stacks of model packaging while claiming to their spouse that they can, quote, quit buying anytime they want, quote. We all know this isn't true, but that's what they claim. There's also a gambling addiction involved in this. Not gambling in the traditional sense, but equally serious. You're gambling how much money you can secretly spend on Warhammer before you get served a divorce paper from your spouse or significant other, or an eviction notice by your landlord. Please be smart. Bills come first. It is also mind-altering. This is another side effect of Wargaming. Many players experience stress relief while hobbying or playing any of these games. Some even laugh while playing, even though they may have had a bad day at work. Others fly into fits of rage at poor dice rolls, or at the ridiculously low point cost of certain Space Marine units, or things like that. Beware of this addiction changing your natural emotional balance. Another thing that our patients often find is mood swings when addicted to this substance. Similar to the altering mind state, many players have the reported emotional highs from winning or even depression from losing. Some people have been put into a bad mood for the rest of the night after they find out they have to play against Space Marines. Some successful dice roll will uplift you suddenly during a difficult game. Please remember that this is just a game and that it doesn't reflect on you personally. Now here's a few warnings that go with wargaming. Warning. If you experience an erection from power gaming that lasts more than five hours, please consult a physician. Warning. Successfully making a six-up save may result in the loss of bladder control. Warning. Touching other people's models without asking may be harmful to your health. You may experience punches to the face and groin and abdomen. Warning. You may experience transmutation. Grown men have been known to turn into whiny little babies when things don't go their way. Warning. Tables have been reported to flip spontaneously right after a crucial two-up roll has been failed. Personal injury may occur. Now, dear listener, if you will please just take 2d6 and call me in the morning. Alright, none of the above statements have been reviewed or verified by the FDA. Being that a lot of my jokes in the past have been misconstrued or taken wrongly by the internet, I figured I would just get out in front of this one from the start. And... 
as far as taking 2d6 and calling me in the morning, please don't try to swallow the 2d6. And matter of fact, don't call me either. I blocked you for a reason, and you know why. Any other suggestions for warnings new players should say? You can write me at pimpcron at gmail.com with two p's or facebook.com slash pimcron. And I think that's it for this show. So thank you so much for listening to my stupid ramblings. And I will see you next week. Thank you to GameMat.eu for supporting the show. And thank you to my beautiful, sexy, good-smelling Patreon patrons led by Overlord Mike.